I don't know if you've ever had something in your life that was very demanding, draining, exhausting, and after that event, you sort of exhale and say, okay, now what? And we come to a point like that in Scripture today. After a, a, an event that is just so draining, you find yourself at home, you just take a deep breath and you're looking forward. The last several weeks between Romans chapter 1 verse 18 and Romans chapter 3 verse 20, it is emotionally and spiritually one of those moments. You, you sort of get through that section which is... Difficult to read, difficult to preach, difficult to understand. But Paul has endeavored to make clear that every single person needs a Savior. That everybody's lost. That everybody in and of themselves is in a hopeless condition. But when we come to Romans chapter 3 verse 21... He shifts, he transitions, and we need that but now. And when you come to Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21 through verse 26, you have what many people consider not just the heart of the book of Romans, but the very heart of Christianity. We have this paragraph this morning which expresses so clearly and beautifully and powerfully what Christianity is all about. Romans chapter 3 verse 29, thanks be to God, Paul says, but now. In light of the fact that everybody's lost, in light of the fact that nobody can save themselves, in light of the fact that God's wrath is poured out, but now, the Bible says the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a wonderful passage. You're going to wish today you'd had a good preacher today, I'm telling you. Because I can't do it justice, but I, I do want to highlight, and I, I'll go ahead and apologize. This is a wordy sermon, and, and I need you all to stick with me as I endeavor to make clear, first of all, the righteousness of God. We see that in verse 21, the righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness of God 
is quite different from the wrongness of mankind. You and I are wrong. God is right. It will always and forever be that. We're wrong. He's right. But this is far more than the ethical description of man. It is to be an understanding of our standing with God. What Paul is talking about here is whether or not you and I are right with God. Now, this is an oversimplification, but with most things in my life, I need them to be oversimplified. But think with me in these terms. When you are aware there is a problem with somebody, you will say, are you okay? Are you all right? You, you may see somebody who's crying. You may see someone who's visibly distraught. Are you okay? Are you all right? That, that's the first question. We want to make sure they're all right Friday night. Against all wisdom, I went shopping. And we didn't do much. We went into one store. It was Hobby Lobby, Lord Jesus. And Josiah and I were just walking along. And somewhere over there, close enough where we could hear something happen. You, you heard the first thing slide. And then you heard other things fall. And then you heard somebody say something that was indistinguishable. And then you saw employees moving that way. And the first thing that was clear was when the employee said, Are you all right? Now, I should have gone and taken a picture. But I didn't. I didn't really want to do that. But the question is, are you all right? To oversimplify this very important matter, this issue is about whether or not you and I are all right, okay, in a right standing with God. Because from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul has made clear you and I are not all right. We're not good. We're not fine. Everything is not hunky-dory with us. So the righteousness of God, that right standing that we need with him, also comes by him. He's the one that we want to be all right with, and he's the one that can make us all right. Now, there are various ways to understand this, and I'll not give you an exhaustive list today, but think judiciously. Judicially, we are not okay. We're guilty. We're not keeping the law, which even if we did, would not make us right with God. Think relationally. We're not on good terms with God. We're not because of sin. Because of sin, the relationship between mankind, humankind, and God is affected. Covenantally, we're not keeping the covenants of God. So in our natural state, we are crossways with God. We are not all right. And so Paul says clearly in this passage, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through, he's about to make clear how you and I are made right. He says the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now manifested simply means to make something known, to make something clear, to lay out the details. 
The dramatic shift for you and for me is that God's righteousness is being made clear. It ought not any longer be imagined that you and I would be made right via the law. God's righteousness is manifested, displayed, explained, and revealed away from the law. We have the Old Testament, which is the law, and in that, the righteousness of God is witnessed to. But to understand how God's righteousness is being manifested, we have to go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 which seems like a long way back in this sermon series. But in those verses, Paul wrote and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus came and died on the cross for you and for me. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Friend, the righteousness of God comes through the gospel. Have I ever told y'all that when I was a kid, I had red hair? I know I have, and some of you still think, I bet he was a cutie. And you're right. I got my red hair from my mother, who was a redhead. I, I have been told... On occasion that my eyes are green, I've been told on other occasions my eyes are blue, and sometimes people have looked at me and said, your eyes are kind of gray. I got that from my dad, who had bluish, greenish, grayish eyes. My parents love Southern gospel music, so guess what? I grew up listening to Southern gospel music. I still like some of it. Don't judge me, people. I like some of it. I love big band music. Did y'all know that? That's good music. I can still remember as a kid my mother pulling out old 78s and putting them on a record player, which we thought was just going out of style. Now everybody wants one. I got a love of certain music. I got certain looks. But I tell you what I never get from my parents, and that is the righteousness of God. I don't inherit it. It doesn't come through the gene pool. I just want to tell you that the righteousness of God comes from God himself. So I will not inherit it. I will not have that preference. I will not get that through the genes. It will come through my hearing and responding to the gospel. So understand, first of all, the righteousness of God, how you and I are right. And Paul makes it clear, secondly, is the righteousness of God comes through redemption. Look again at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There's no difference. There's nobody who is excluded from this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So not just the righteousness of God, but the righteousness of God through redemption. Now, 
God's righteousness, which is made clear through the gospel, we're told clearly that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I need to remind you, faith is an essential aspect of salvation. It is always faith as opposed to activity. You know, redemption, salvation, will not come through your head what you affirm. It will not come through your heart, your affections. It will not come through your hands, your activity. The simple yet profound, the simply profound truth is that if anyone is to be right with God, it requires that they come by faith. It's not by sight, it's not by activity, it's not by love and kindness or any effort on our part, it is by faith. And faith is not merit. Faith is the means. It is through faith. And here the Bible says, for all who believe. Now I'll just go ahead and tell you in case you don't know, we'll get into the deep water on this very subject in the coming weeks as we go through Romans. Because belief and faith is so significant. But righteousness is available by faith, the Bible says, for all who will believe. Now, Douglas Moo, the great New Testament scholar, said, and I quote, God's righteousness is available only through faith in Christ. But it is available to anyone who has faith in Christ. Here's the reality. Everyone Everyone needs salvation. For, the Bible says, all have sinned. Most of us know that verse. If we grew up in church, if we have some sort of faith foundation, most of us grew up learning Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is Paul's effort at stating the situation that we're in. That all of us have fallen short. Sometimes people will illustrate this in different ways. And you'll hear a preacher talk about somebody who's trying to jump from California coast to Catalina Island. Or you'll hear somebody talk about somebody who says they can jump a mile-wide river. It doesn't matter how you illustrate it. One person may jump 5 feet. One person may jump 10 feet. Somebody may even jump 20 feet. But everybody's going to fall short. And when it comes to righteousness, there are some folks who do okay. But they all fall short of God's glory. None of us measure up. And the Bible says we're justified by his grace as a gift. Now justified in this context of Romans chapter 3 means to, do, to be declared righteous. It means to be acquitted of all guilt. It is a judicial understanding Understand we were in the courtroom and the evidence and the testimony against us was overwhelming. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And the punishment that we were facing is death and hell. But God. And if you go back to verse 21, but now we get this idea of grace and Jesus. Now listen, we're not made virtuous. We're not made sinless, but we are declared to be right with God. We're justified by His grace. Always and forever, His grace is undeserved. It is a gift, but it is a gift that's offered freely. Freely to us. Not free to God. It's very costly. But it is offered to us. And the Bible says here, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
So, so we've moved from the courtroom now to a scene where you see someone being set free. Because redemption means the price has been paid. And the one who was bound, the one who was enslaved, the one who was imprisoned has now been set free. How is it that you and I could ever be set free from that guilty judgment, from our being locked up as it were in our sins? Well, we're set free through the payment that was made. What is the payment? Well, Paul says here that the payment was whom God put forward, that whom refers to Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, folks, we don't use that word out in, in everyday life. I bet not a single one of you have ever been in Starbucks and used the word propitiation. It just doesn't come up. And it's a big word, and it's a word that is often misunderstood. But the word propitiation basically means to appease, to satisfy, or to regain favor. So please understand, the righteousness of God is this holy standard. And you and I are in our natural state, we're not in good standing. We're not holy. We're not right before God. And our sin is extremely offensive to our holy God. But he set forth, he sent Jesus. He put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now I realize that preaching on the blood of Jesus is not very popular these days. There are folks who say that is one thing that is so offensive about Christianity is because of all the the blood talk. But listen, that sacrifice had to be made. That blood had to be shed so that our God could be appeased and to satisfy his righteous standard and to regain his favor toward us. Now... Some folks will even hear that and say, appease an angry God. That's why I can't be a Christian. But don't misunderstand what is being said here. Our holy God has a holy standard and our sin offends him. And when we speak of appeasing God, please understand that in reality, God is appeasing himself. Because God is the one who makes Available, the sacrifice to satisfy himself. Jesus is the offering, but he's offered by God his Father. And it is that offering which is sufficient to satisfy God's wrath against our sins. It is a beautiful picture. He is our propitiation. And then this passage says again, to be received by faith. See, it comes back to that topic again and again. That you and I must have faith. We're either going to trust God by faith or we're not going to trust him at all. And it's hard for some to realize that somebody dying on a cross on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago 
Being buried and raised to life has nothing to do with us. But listen, the only way God is appeased and satisfied and the only way you will regain his favor is that you come by faith trusting in that propitiation, that payment, that satisfaction for your salvation. And it was required to demonstrate God's righteousness. The cross also satisfied previous sins. Because understand the Jews for years had been sacrificing likely millions of animals. But as Hebrews 10.4 tells us, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And in this passage, we're told that God had passed over former sins. Why? He was waiting for the ultimate sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. So please understand me today. The Old Testament saints didn't know about the cross, but God did. And whatever revelation they had mattered to God because the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But you see, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed forward to that sacrifice on Calvary that day. They didn't know about Calvary in the Old Testament, but God did. And in a sense, what the Bible indicates here is that some of them were forgiven on credit, on a bill yet to be paid. God was putting their sins, in a sense, on layaway before the ultimate payment would be made when Jesus died on the cross. They were looking forward to the payment of their sin. You and I now look forward, look back to the payment of our sin. They had faith forward, we have faith backward. And so the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God through redemption, but then thirdly and finally, the righteousness of God through redemption right now. Verse 26 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, by bringing up the former sins he had passed over, Paul raised an issue of time. And he argues that all of this was not just about the former sins of the saints long ago. It was also to show the righteousness of God at the present time. Today. Now. Relevant for you and me. And so the Bible says that the goal here is that God would be just and the justifier. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who is unjust, but it's not a pleasant event. You may have run into somebody and you say, you know, in their dealings with me and their conversations with me, I just don't get a good feeling. And often in our culture, we'll find those who seemingly are unjust. But I just want to remind you today, God is God always and forever. And he is and will always be just. He always has the right standards. He always has perfect holiness. He is always perfectly righteous. And nothing you and I do affect him. Nothing that happens in this world changes him. He is unchanged and forever the same. He is always just. But please don't leave here today without understanding that he's also the justifier. 
Because of our sin and because of our fallenness and because of the fact that God cannot change, you and I must be justified. It must be declared just if I'd never sinned. And friend, I want to remind you the only one that can do that is God. And the Bible says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now there are some things that come up over and over again in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. One is the righteousness of God. By the time we get through Romans, I hope we all understand it better. But there's another thing that comes up over and over and over again. And it is faith in Christ. And you see, our faith in Christ means that we are forever changed. It is our faith in Christ by which he can declare us just if I'd never sinned. And so often in life, what you and I do is we just try to start anew, turn over a fresh leaf, going to make another go of it. Friend, I want to tell you, we can change ourselves to the best of our ability. There's a story about Frank Abagnale. I don't know if y'all remember that name. They made a movie about him, Catch Me If You Can. By the age of 21, he was the world's most wanted criminal. He had been a... A forger. He had changed his identity. He he had been a, a physician. This is before the age of 21. He had been an airline pilot. He had been an attorney. He had literally climbed out of a DC 10 on the runway to escape federal imprisonment. This guy was great. It's starting over and starting over and creating a new identity. But at the end of the day, guess what? He was still a thief. There was no way a new identity could wipe his slate clean. You and I can't wipe our slate clean. Only God can do that. Warren Wearsby tells the story of a gentleman he had heard about who went to England and bought a brand new Rolls Royce with the intent of driving it throughout Europe. He made his way from England to Europe and one day... The Rolls-Royce broke down. There wasn't a mechanic anywhere around that could fix that Rolls-Royce. And all he knew to do was to call back to England and speak to the company. And he called Rolls-Royce and they dispatched a mechanic who flew over to the continent, repaired the man's car, and the guy's thinking, this is going to cost me a fortune. He finishes his European vacation, he makes his way home, and a bill never comes, and a bill never comes, and a bill never comes. He finally contacted Rolls-Royce. And recounted the story for them and said, what do I owe you? And the response was, we have no record of a Rolls Royce ever breaking down anywhere. (laughs) Friend, I want to tell you, we break down almost daily. We might break down hourly. And the only one who can clear the record is God. 
who put forward Jesus as the payment against his own wrath so that you and I could be justified. And if ever going to happen, it's going to come by faith. Would you bow your heads with me? And today, let me remind you once again that if you will come by faith, God himself will declare you justified, righteous, not because of anything you've done, but everything Jesus did. And if we'll have faith, the journey of faith will be an exciting one for us. Lord, today we're thankful for Jesus and his work on the cross and the shed blood, which is the payment, the propitiation that satisfies your wrath. God, today I would pray that every single person who hears this message would be absolutely certain of a right standing with you. For the one who struggles to have saving faith, Lord, help them to simply take the first step towards a relationship with you. Not based on anything we've done, but everything you have done. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.